Welcome to Boating Industry Insider, where we talk to executives, thought leaders, and movers and shakers from both inside and outside the marine industry. Now here's your host, content director and editor-in-chief, David G. Hello, everyone. David G, content director and editor-in-chief at Boating Industry, and do welcome you to another edition of Boating Industry Insider. And we welcome the founder of Anthem Marine and a frequent contributor to Boating Industry Marketing Strategies for Growth. It is Mark Overby. Welcome to the show. David, great to talk to you today. As always, thank you. Yeah. So when you and I grew up uh, about the same age, literally, literally, the only people I knew who owned pontoons were grandmas and grandpas at the lake cabin. And, you know, occasionally someone might have one for putzing around, but they'd also have other boats. When did you see that change and, and people begin to own a pontoon as, as maybe a primary or only boat that that they that they did own? Well, I, like you, I agree. And and pontoons kind of always had this uh, stigma about them as just being good for cruising around with uh, family and, and so on. And certainly with time, they became uh, updated with far more amenities that made the, the experience a lot more pleasant. I, I look at it and, and from a personal standpoint, being a hardcore water sports enthusiast, yeah. but also a pontoon owner yeah. going back. Well, I don't want to date myself, but yeah. more than a couple decades, but yeah. uh, enjoy the, the, uh, the aspects of pontooning, but also understanding limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I, I, again, I remember going to, to my first boat show and, and I don't remember whether it was about the same time, but it certainly was that the same kind of visceral, like, sense of of shock when when I saw a six-figure towboat and and you know uh a six-figure pontoon as well and and we've we've blown well past the hundred thousand dollar mark when you know was reading about a three hundred thousand dollar pontoon the other day. Uh talk about you know that that uh kind of that price ascension and and how do we go from from thirty to to three hundred thousand uh, so quickly. Yeah, I remember when we started Moomba and the concept there was to offer an entry level towboat. And again, maybe I'm dating myself, but, you know, back then we were selling fully loaded inboard direct drive ski boats for less than 20,000 bucks. And there was actually somewhat decent margin in it today. uh, You know, obviously it looks like there is no limit. There is no ceiling to this. And we see boats that are now approaching the the prices of of decent homes and (laughs) You know, I, I think that it wasn't that long ago when you saw this $100,000 figure being uh, a bit of an obstacle. And as you just mentioned, we've blown right past that. And now it seems like $200,000 is going to be left in the dust here very, very quickly, if not already. And we're well on our way to boats that are, and I'm talking about sport boats like you are, uh, yeah. Yeah. let's call it 18 to 28 foot boats that are approaching $300,000. These are not yachts. These are not exotic products that are, are crazy. These are production boats Mm -hmm. uh, where there are tens of thousands of them being built. And, and in the pontoon segment, obviously it's five times that. And so it's uh, it's gotten to a point where the pricing strategies for every builder are becoming stratospheric. Yeah. And, you know, when I when I talk to uh, any 
boat manufacturer, but but particularly uh, kind of take the the tow boat manufacturers to task for their for their uh, uh, two and in three hundred thousand dollar tow boats, and and their response is always, hey, you know what? We're it's not necessarily us that that's driving that that price north it's people are asking for touch screens and they're asking for you know uh sophisticated audio and more and more accoutrements and and all kinds of 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 you know electronic things that that you know add to the boating experience but also add to the msrp of the boat so do you i mean do you buy that is like okay uh, is this a, a consumer driven thing well, so obviously this is a tough question that gets asked frequently. <laughs> my, re- my response to this is it's a little bit like death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> and I think back on the days of building ski boats and, and some of the very first V drives, and you can point to things like, well, those boats at one time had uh, analog dashes and you could buy gauges for 20 or 30 bucks. And today, you have to put in a, a large touchscreen, which the touchscreen itself can cost 18 or 1900 bucks. You have to supply PDMs to drive it and all the accoutrements that go with what goes behind the dashboard, whether it's ballast system, speed control, what have you there. And then, and that's just one aspect, you know, and another one I bring up sometimes is fuel systems. You used to be able to just put in a, a poly fuel tank that might've cost, depending upon the size, of course, but it might be as inexpensive as 50 or 60 bucks. And today the fuel tanks that are in our boats are several hundred dollars. And in the old days, you could just put in uh, some tubing and a gas fill and, and call it good. And maybe the whole system, including labor might be less than a couple hundred bucks. Today, the fuel systems we have on the boats, which are compliant with government and, and industry standards costs $1,200. And of course it depends on what you're, how you're plumbing it and, and what goes into it. But, you know, when you look at things like, like I just mentioned with the dashboard that used to cost a few hundred dollars and now it costs several thousand dollars in a fuel system that cost used to few, be a few hundred bucks and now it's over a thousand. And you look at a bill of materials. Well, our bill of materials is, is maybe about 300 items and you cannot point to any one item and go, holy cow, this is uh, yeah. this yeah. is a significant driver. It all adds up to, to boats that cost a lot of money. The other thing is that the expectations have changed mm-hmm. and the automotive business is driving that perception of what a boat should be. And so it's difficult in today's world where even an inexpensive car is very nicely done. And people want that transition from what they're used to driving in their car to how a boat should look. And there are certain costs that go with that. There's nothing wrong, for example, with an analog dash, but nobody wants that anymore. They want a touch screen. You can change to 999 colors and they want all the, the uh, <laughs> controls in that. And so to a large degree, it's, it's driven by expectations of the marketplace, but the margins are, are similar to what they were in years gone by. It's just that everything costs a lot more. And in our case, the product that we're building today, uh, because of the demands of the market and our own demands on certain quality, uh, we have several hundred man hours in the building of every boat where it used to be in a ski boat, you could build a, a very, very nice direct drive for somewhere in the 80 to 100 man hours. And now in, our, in the case of our boats, we're north of 500. Wow. 
Yeah. Well, you know, when you put it in, it kind of give us some context and a little backstory, it, it does make sense. And as you say, hey, you know, eventually we're talking about a real, real money here and it does add up. But uh, uh, yeah, that that's uh, that that certainly puts a little information you know, behind that number. You know, I it, when I was writing the the Stern, uh, the uh, pontoon uh, product market focus piece for the March, April issue of, of boating industry came across a, a, a guy actually from uh, Stearns County, Minnesota that, that lashed together a couple of uh, 55 uh, gallon oil drums and put some decking and found an old outboard and, and called it a pontoon. Uh, we've, we've come on as 1951, 1952. We've, uh, we've, we've come a long way since, haven't we? <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's interesting is that the, the pontoon technology has evolved some for sure. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what's transitioned in the pontoon world from the deck up, it's uh, it's it's come light years since those days, but yeah, it's it's interesting. And and if you look at the numbers in the industry today, it's roughly a sixty thousand unit new right. boat right. industry in the United States. It's 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 replaced the stern drive business, and it's it's a single largest category, which probably fifteen years ago nobody would have ever predicted. That is, yeah, that is for sure. Uh, you know, I uh, when I was looking at sales figures over over this past year, and certainly uh, an unusual year in, in every respect. But you know, uh, June is like thirty percent year over year increase. For, you know, forty four percent in July, uh, 50 percent by August. I mean, uh, this you know the the unit sales had been high for uh for some time it was the category that kind of led the industry out of uh the last great recession 07 and 08 but uh but they're you know as you already alluded to who knows what the ceiling is they they just keep they they just continue to sell don't they yeah so i you know i i look at this with a with a, a lot of curiosity but i think it's pretty easy to understand if you go back 20 years, the baby boomers uh, were certainly driving boat sales and water sports and, and boating activity, and they still are. And you look back 20 years, and a lot of these people were very, very active. And so whether they were buying direct drives, V drives, stern drives, whatever, uh, and even outboards, they were active. They're fishing, they're water skiing, they're, they're tubing, they're, they're spending time behind the boat with their families. Well, a lot of those people are now... 65 to 85 and most of them are saying, Hey, I like boating, but I don't know that I necessarily need that more active role. And a pontoon fits my needs perfectly. At the same time, the pontoon builders have certainly up their game. The products are beautiful. The interiors are super luxurious and plush. The controls are nice. Outboard technology has evolved significantly. And so the whole pontoon experience is pretty enticing. So to me, it's a, it's a perfect fit for the demographics of who's buying these boats and why the, the, the segment of the industry has surged the way it has. I don't see it slowing down. And the people that I talk to in the space, probably like you, are, are certainly very bullish about uh, what the next few years look like. Well, if given a choice, you and I would... Uh you know, like to grab our slalom skis and uh, uh, go for a couple passes on the lake over everything else. But uh, we are certainly not in the majority there. I also enjoy wake surfing. And, you know, that is 
has been for, you know, a few years now, kind of all the rage and you have identified kind of, you know, some of the, the, the many ways that, that we use a pontoon SUV, Swiss army knife of boats, all that, but it was not a boat that we could wake surf with. And a few years ago, you looked at the burgeoning popularity, continuing popularity of, of pontoons and the popularity of wake surfing and said, hmm, I wonder if we could put those two things together like peanut butter and chocolate. So talk a little bit about that ideation and, and, and what resulted uh, from that. Yeah, so the peanut butter and chocolate thing is perfect because <laughs> if you look back at deck boats, which were to some degree a failure, yeah. Uh, those boats really didn't do what their, their promise was. And so I look at it from a personal perspective uh, to which you've been a party to and said, I'm a hardcore user and I understand how boats are built. I look at it through the eyes of a purist and certainly have an expectation for quality and the performance of the boats. But I look at a young family, much like my own, where we spent many a day, if not every day in the summertime, out skiing, tubing, wakeboarding, whatever, and have a towboat specifically for that purpose. And then it, in the afternoon or on weekends, maybe friends come out and you put your towboat away and you get out on your pontoon. And I can think of in front of my house for decades, every single day where you'd have towboats and pontoons out using this particular area where we had a slalom course and everybody was out having fun. But it also meant that every one of my buddies and, and myself included, we all had towboats and we had pontoons. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at this through the lens of what's capable today and thought, you know, especially with wake surfing and the transition of where uh, this, this sport is headed and who the buyers are, I thought, man, this is a perfect opportunity to fuse these two. I don't think you could do it with a ski boat because the, the dynamics and weights and balances of, of, of all that don't work, but it's perfect to fuse a pontoon with a surf boat. And so I started Montera uh, in 2019 and, and we got into production immediately and the boats were built in China and, and we had some pretty cool technology, but essentially it was the fusion of the plushness and com comfort of a pontoon with the performance characteristics of a surf boat and it worked and it worked beautifully. So the concept uh, was fresh, it was different. We're creating a new category. And uh, that was that was kind of the germination of that whole concept and how it came to be. Well, a little personal anecdote. So uh, I was taking my uh, uh, inboard direct drive water ski boat off the launch ramp as uh, you were heading out to uh, a certain lake with your Montera. <laughs> and, and I said, Hey, how about pulling me? And, uh, and you uh, obliged, even though you probably uh, were late for dinner or wherever you were supposed to be to, uh, to meet your wife. But it, it is a pretty amazing thing. Even when I was behind the boat uh, to look around and people doing double and triple and quadruple takes like, is that guy, surfing behind a freaking pontoon and uh yes as a matter of fact we were uh what was your reaction when you started talking to dealers and and started hitting the lake with this uh you know was it was it a marriage made in heaven or was there some pushback no there, there really wasn't any pushback other than well let me qualify that so every time we were on the water there was no question that the boat would <laughs> always draw a crowd because you can't surf behind a pontoon. It just, it doesn't work. Yeah. And this boat, it surfs 
very nicely. And the concept uh, execution was was uh, on target, meaning that what looked like a pontoon uh, was a boat that you could surf behind. So certainly it drew a lot of attention from tow sports boat owners, as well as the pontoon crowd. And what was different about it was that the pontoon owner said, holy cow, I could buy a boat that does far more mm-hmm. than what a pontoon does while still enjoying the benefits of the pontoon layout. And the tow sports guy said, holy cow, I can have the comfort of a pontoon uh, without giving up any performance. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, and I want to segue to uh, to Anthem Marine, but you know, one of the things that, that I hear all the time from from boaters and, and people that are wake surfing is the multi-generational aspect of it. You can literally, you know, you, you surf at, at 10 or 11 miles an hour. Uh, it doesn't fall. You don't get hurt. Uh, no torn ACLs. Uh, you, your back isn't sore the next morning. All of those kinds of things. So you have grandma, grandpa out there. You have their kids and then their kids, you know, aka the grandkids. So, uh, and, and you really, so you can still have grandma and grandpa that own the pontoon like they did back in uh, the 50s, 60s and 70s. But oh, by the way, the grandkids can now wake surf. So it, it really did open up a whole new use uh, for a pontoon, didn't it? There's no question that it, it works. And it's interesting because some people can look at it and, and literally in a nanosecond, they go, OK, I get it. And it's yeah. what I want. Yeah. Uh, for some people. Uh, and I would consider myself to some degree in this category. I, I grew up and have been involved as a, as a boat builder and, and aggressive participant in the water sports scene. Um, and looking down my nose a little bit at aluminum product, which I fully understand. Today, given the choice, I would prefer aluminum product because there's no maintenance and it's bulletproof. And there are several other advantages that you get with aluminum that you can't have with glass. But there's an evolution to get to that mindset. And so I think that once people see it and understand it, uh, by and large, it's pretty easy to grasp. And we see nothing but a, a very, very bright future for this for this space. But it doesn't mean that everybody gets it, nor does it mean that it is for everybody. Um, but by and large, there is certainly creating a new category of product that's out there. And we believe because it straddles both the toe sports and pontoon space that there's it's it's nothing but upside mm-hmm. yeah for those of you that don't know mark overby serial boat building entrepreneur mumba gecko montera and now anthem uh obviously you took some lessons learned from montera uh applied them to anthem tell a little bit about that gestation and and kind of what the unique value proposition and of, of anthem is and and how it's different or, or how it's alike from uh from your first foray into uh, wake surf pontoons yeah, so when when uh, when I formulated this idea of fusing a pontoon with a tow sports, of course, there are a lot of naysayers. They're like, well, that's never going to happen. But I don't think they could see it. So uh, once we got into production, started building it, and you could actually touch, feel, and use it, 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 perver- it prevented uh, anybody from having much pushback on it. And mm-hmm. quite the opposite, a lot of people embraced it right away. But I also saw from the beginning what it could be. And if, if there was some pushback and what led me to starting Anthem was that I really saw some opportunity down the road to change up some internal things that we couldn't do with Montera. And 
as a guy that still owns a piece of that, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But what we did do with Anthem was a couple things. Number one is we feel like we're upping the game because the boat is designed, built, and uh, sourced in the United States. It's 100% mm-hmm. built, conceived, and, and so on in the Fraser shipyard on Lake Superior. We have our own test lake, which is called Lake Superior. I'm saying that a little <laughs> bit tongue in cheek. So we can test there through all types of conditions that not everybody can do. And the other thing is that um, we have got some technologies in this boat with multiple patents that no other boat has. And frankly, they are features that would be difficult to integrate into glass. So we just tried to create a, a product that was more upscale, built to military specifications with the called mill spec, which uh, includes materials and processes to build an extraordinary product from a quality and performance standpoint and do it in the United States. So those are some of the tenants, not all of them for sure, but those are some of the things that were different that uh, led me to leave Montana and start Anthem. <laughs> I love that. Uh, lake Superior, your test lake, for those of you that don't know, obviously the largest of the Great Lakes and uh, the world's largest freshwater lake by surface. And uh, wow, yeah, when you talk about all conditions in all weather types, uh, it, it's it's amazing uh, uh, what a, a test bed Lake Superior must be. Not not necessarily the first place I would think of uh, of wake surfing, but uh, anyway, I, I'm sure it's it proved useful to you. Well, hey, I like skiing in Florida as well as as well as the next guy. <laughs> but I a little bit tongue in cheek. I can't tell you the number of days where we would launch when the air temp was minus ten. Yeah. Lake Superior is open because it's just a roiling sea and it, and it couldn't freeze. And yeah. that obviously is, is not the ideal condition, but it is ideal for testing boats because you really get an idea of what, what your boat is going to go through. And uh, it's, it's, it's been huge for us because one of the things that we did do in the development of Anthem was use computational fluid dynamics for the design of our hull and the overall aesthetic look as well. But we ran thousands of hours of, of, of computer diagnostics and testing long before we ever built boat number one and uh, the ability to test it in a, on a monster lake, like Lake Superior, all it did was validate our concept. <laughs> and for those who are interested uh, in surfing, not wake surfing behind a boat, but actual wave surfing, they surf on Lake Superior certain times of the year in the winter with wetsuits, dry suits, and uh, yeah, Google it. And you'll see some really gnarly looking tough dudes with uh, frozen beards that uh, look kind of otherworldly. So uh, winter surfing on Lake Superior, uh, Google it. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? David, we've run into some of those guys. We, we sometimes launch in the harbor, yeah. uh, at two harbors, Minnesota, which is yeah. north of Duluth. And you might call these guys hardy. You might call them crazy. Oh, wow. And uh, what's interesting is what keeps that harbor open is the ship traffic that goes in and out. And plenty of times we've gone in there and it'll be iced over. But with the ship traffic going in and out, it'll it'll open it up. And there will be guys out there with all their surf gear and their hardcore dry suits and, and full hoods, boots and mitts. <laughs> with big grins on their faces. And just like you say, a lot of these guys have beards and they, they, they love to show you how their beards are totally frozen. More power to them. Good, good for them that, uh, that they don't let a little bit of winter weather get in the way of, uh, of their water sports fun. So we've got 
Six-figure pontoons, $300,000 pontoons. We've got uh, electric-powered pontoons now. We've got, uh, now I saw, you know, 100-mile-per-hour pontoons. I don't know that I'd like to go 70, 80, 90, or 100 in a pontoon or a tritune or uh, any form of a tune. Where do you see the future of the category? Do you, do you just see it continue to iterate and evolve and, and more unit sales? What, what do you see for the future of the pontoons? I, a couple things that I think are important here. Um, outboard engine technology is evolving at a rapid rate yeah. and it's made pontooning uh, a performance activity if you want that. Whereas a 90 horse engine used to kind of be a staple engine. Yeah. You're yeah. now seeing, you know, double 300s or double yeah. 450s or whatever yeah. that yeah. the guy wants to hang on the back of his pontoon to turn it into a performance <laughs> engine. So, you know, I, I think that's the case, but I, I think you're going to continue to see evolutions in upholstery in dashboards in hardware and, and production processes that are con- going to continue to up the game so that these boats are just going to continue to become more and more automotive like. And with the increase in price, you see a lot of people that are driving Mercedes, Audis, BMWs, they're, they have an expectation when they get out of their car and they want to get into their boats, they're looking for a seamless transition. And so I think there's some onus on boat builders to try and duplicate the automotive feel. Now, you know, going back to my earlier analogy where you could buy a, an analog dashboard for a few hundred dollars and today's dashboards cost thousands of dollars. Uh, it's the same thing with engines. Engine costs are, are, are rising. And, you know, in the tow sports world, you used to be able to buy a 315 horse engine at, at an OEM cost of, of five or $6,000. And today those engines cost almost three times that. And that's before you take it out of the crate, ponying the thing up with mm-hmm. transmissions and heart underwater gear and all the rest of it. And so where I'm going with that is the costs, costs aren't coming down. Costs are only probably going to be on par with where they are today, or they're going to go up. And the only trade-off there is whether or not uh, a particular customer can live with less. If you can live with less, then potentially there are going to be lower costs. But I don't see anything happening on the uh, manufacturing side that would say, hey, there's a huge breakthrough coming that's going to reduce costs overall. It's probably not going to happen. I would also venture a guess to say that I think the demographic of the boat buyer has changed dramatically. The blue collar guy is gone. That three to $500 a month payment that used to be available for boats is now consumed with digital entertainment, whether it's cell phone plans or internet costs or whatever. And so that guy is gone. And so when you look at who's buying $200,000 boats of of any variety today, a lot of dealers, I think, would tell you, you know what, they're, they're shocked at how many of those buyers are check writers. They're not guys coming in shopping a payment anymore. They're guys that say, I like it. I want a certain color. I want it built my way. And when it's ready, I'll just write you a I'll check. Take it, yeah. So that the complexion of today's buyer has changed a lot too. Um, so our industry is going to continue to evolve. And I, I think in a lot of positive ways, but it also creates a responsibility for boat builders to be paying attention, keeping your finger on the pulse of what really is happening in in your particular segment, like what we're trying to do with Anthem to keep things moving. 
Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, letting us know what the pulse of the pontoon industry looks like from a very interesting interesting perspective, uh, serial boat builder. Mark Overby, water sports enthusiast, industry advocate. Uh, thanks for being with us. Really enjoyed the conversation. David, it's a treat. As always, I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, I'm a huge fan. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. And everyone else for listening as well. I'm David G, content director and editor-in-chief at Boating Industry. Stay happy, stay healthy. And we will see you on the water. So long, everyone. Thanks again for listening to this edition of Boating Industry Insider. We'd love your feedback or let us know if you have any ideas for future episodes. Happy boating. Happy boating.